Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 69 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Today, we bring you an interview from Henry Akins. Henry is a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. He received his black belt in 2004, and there's probably no person who has spent more time on the mat with Hicks and Gracie. So it's going to be a great interview we have for you coming up. really think you're going to have a good time listening to it and learn from Henry Akins. This week, my schedule did not match up with Gary's, uh, more my, my schedule than Gary's schedule, but... I'm flying solo today because we couldn't we couldn't make it happen. So, uh, looking at happy to get Gary back on next week to help uh, co-host the show. It's always a little awkward doing this by myself. So, so we should be back at our normal uh, routine uh, next week. But I really wanted to get the show out for you this uh, this week. Just want to remind you real quickly here that if you uh, want a little bit more of the BJJ Break podcast, you could go online to either the website or on the Facebook page, and there's a little place to sign up for our email list. We send out one email every Tuesday. It's basically the show notes from the inter- from the episode, and at the very bottom of that will be a link to a Dropbox folder that has some free audio books to download. Uh, right now there's three in there. There's Breaking Your Limits, How to Compete in a BJJ Tournament Even If You Are Busy, and then Tilt, How to Make Your BJJ Game More Balanced. We've got some great feedback from those so far. And I'm looking to put a few more up in there pretty shortly here. We are still trying to put together some questions for a uh, listener question episode. Uh, we don't know when that would be. But if you want to send us a question or get a hold of us for any reason at all, uh, bgjbrick at gmail.com is the easy way. And also you could just message the uh, Facebook page after you like it. You can send us a message and me and Gary will both see those. Well, without any further ado, because there's no Gary here to bounce some things off of here, I will go ahead and play our quote from Rolly Delgado. And really was our last week's interview. So if you missed that, uh, definitely listen to this interview. But go back and check that out. It's really good stuff on there. He doesn't just talk about leg locks, but he does talk about leg locks, of course. But he has some really cool ideas about jiu-jitsu in general. So here is our quote from Rolly Delgado. From Billy Robinson, who, who passed away last year. Um, incredible martial artist, lifelong martial artist. Um, and he was a wrestler, you know, but, but they did submissions back in the day. And, and um, so, you know, martial arts is kind of a weird term. He didn't put a gi on every day, but... Um, he, 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 he's one of the most knowledgeable guys. You know, his uncle boxed Max Bear. Um, you know, he'd been around boxing and wrestling and, and submission wrestling his whole life. And he, he, he would say all the time, learn how to learn. And um, that's it's important, you know, and, and, and rather than just leave you with the quote, say, learn how to learn. What, what you need to do is you need to learn how the body works and understand the fundamentals of, of the human body, basically. And then, apply that to any type of like takedown or sweep or guard pass that you're trying to do um, just just look at the, just look at the fundamentals you know you you can't go you can't go left if your toes are pointed to the right you know you, and when you're learning a new position sometimes things don't feel right because you're just you're just out of position you know so if you learn how the body works and you learn how to learn um, then it'll make it'll make it a lot easier on you in the long run um, and, and I don't really know how to tell you to do that or tell the, the listeners to do that um, other than to just kind of pay attention to the fundamental movements that, that, are, in the, that are in the move. You know, don't, don't get hung up on every single 
specific grip detail first. Just kind of understand the gross motor skills um, and make sure you have that. And then you can refine those, you know, fine motor skills. Um, a, a good example of that would be um, talking about uh, getting a good grip and then finding your power sources. Uh, you could apply that same those those fundamentals like learning how to learn like you understand that with the straight ankle lock now and then you can apply that same fundamental to like finishing the arm bar uh, as, as rudimentary as it is you know you see people get caught in arm bars and somebody doesn't tap because their arm is just a little flexible and they're, and they're stubborn and the guy can't break the arm and he's trying but his hips will only go up so far you know but if you can stop and, and think like okay like basically what I'm trying to do is bend this arm further than I can and then you look back and you go oh man Ronda Rousey puts it against her hip because you know these girls are super flexible and not tapping so rather than just hugging it to her chest she'll put it against her hip and then she has a lot more room to push that arm and make it bend a lot further and so you're just looking at the gross motor skills of the position um, and, and if you learn how to learn and learn how to look at things from that perspective it'll help you a lot uh, it, it'll help you a lot when you're trying to learn some of these more advanced movements, you know, like uh, like daily heap of sweeps or uh, specific guard passes. You know, you get to really understand where pe- people's balance comes from and how the body works. So that learn how to learn is, is definitely a good, a good quote. And I like how you were talking about earlier when we were talking about legal leg locks and uh, talking about Billy Robinson there. And I remember you were saying he was the one who really helped you with a power source. You were talking about how to figure out how to learn how to learn, the, you know, to, to create that power into your straight ankle lock. So I think that's awesome. He uses that quote, and then uh, he he helped, you know, he, he makes you learn that way, too. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's his legacy, man. You know, I mean, he's gone now, and, uh, you know, that's, that's his legacy, so... That's that's as good as it's going to get for any of us. Yeah. To, to be able to leave, you know, to be able to leave a little part of you that goes off. I mean, it's easy to do that with people in your immediate family. I mean, we all, of course, want to be good fathers, um, good brothers and sisters. And uh, but um, as far as you know, our professional careers or as martial artists, um, you know, he he was definitely able to uh, to leave to leave his legacy that way. The quote this week was "Learn how to learn" from the legendary Billy Robinson. Uh, shared by Rolly Delgado. So that was a good one. Uh, thanks, Rolly. Let's go ahead and move on to the article of the week. This article is by jujitsutimes.com. It's a very active blog. They've got lots of great articles on there all the time, it seems like. Uh, I do recommend going by and liking their Facebook page, and that way your newsfeed constantly has uh, cool articles to keep you up to, de- up to date on everything. This article is Stepping Off the Mat's Top 10. And I saw that, and I didn't really know what it was going to be about. But it's the top ten things that uh, that could be done when stepping off the mat. The first one is bow off the mat. Um, some schools do this, some don't. Uh, but that's, if your school uh, wants you to bow, definitely uh, take that in and, and, and bow. When you get off the mat, slip off, slip on sandals and grab my water. That's the number two thing. I guess the number three thing is, is water. Goes down the list about uh, getting clean, changing clothes, washing face and hands. And then when you get home, stuff goes in the washing machine immediately. And after all that, you know, you're clean, your stuff's in the washer, wash machine, getting cleaned up. Take some notes. Then that's, that's definitely the area that I think a lot of us lack on that it would help us remember what we're doing and keep 
and put some organization into our game. But it was it, it's a it's a short article. It's very good. It just kind of reiterates the importance of things when you step off the mat. You know, rehydrate. Um, start worried about hygiene and getting clean. And and then when you get home, you got to get that ghee washed immediately. The number ten thing on the list here was to thank everyone for their time and and help. So that's you know that's just like an ongoing thing. I think is is when when you have a good you know a good session with somebody it doesn't hurt to reach out to them you know some text or online or something like that and say hey thanks that was a good workout you know, that's usually appreciated the article is on jujitsutimes.com it's called stepping off the mats top 10 i'll put a link to it on the show notes so that we can go through and read all 10 of them and, and really soak it in there and i would even throw in after your clothes are done in the wash machine uh, hang them up to dry. That's the, if if you are throwing them in the dryer, you're you're missing a step there, my friends. Uh, hang them up to dry, and if you're going to be grappling anytime soon, and I always put, regardless of when I'm grappling next, is is take a little fan and, and point it at the at my at my gi, and it'll help dry it out considerably faster. The quicker it's that it dries off, the less uh, likelihood that it will be a little funky the next time you roll. If it's in a, in a dark basement or something like that overnight and the next day it doesn't quite get dry all the way, it just gives it time for that bacteria to, to grow and the fan just knocks out the moisture. Just It really pulls it out of there. So I do recommend the fan on the hanging gi. Well, that wraps up our article. It's uh, you know I'm going record speed here without Gary, so uh, <laughs> definitely miss having somebody to bounce stuff off of here and, and get get another viewpoint from things. But good thing is, doing an interview, there's another person here, and it's not just me going solo. So uh, that's a bonus, and not just someone. We have Henry Aikens here, so that's a double. That's twice as good. Uh, next week, just a quick little note here: we have Isaac Doderline. He recently he's a brown belt, and he's recently won the uh, Europeans at his weight class, and he got second place. And he is a featherweight. He got second place in the open weight class as well. So that's an amazing accomplishment for him. And, and next week we'll talk to him and, and get what's going on and kind of learn about his training routine and, and what he's doing to, to perform so well. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. He hit 88 miles per hour on his bicycle, and his flux capacitor took him to watch the first wrestling in the Olympics. His tornado guard once left the referee homeless. He holds an impressive record in death matches, 58 and 7. He uses the Heimlich maneuver to prevent from tapping to a choke. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Go for the submission, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Henry Aikens to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Henry, thanks for jumping on the show with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for sharing your time with me. It's an honor. If somebody hasn't uh, learned about who you are yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Uh, I started training jiu-jitsu in 1995 with Fix and Gracie. Um, received my black belt from him in 2004. Um, was the head instructor at his school for many, many years. Um, and so I ended up training with him for five years, and uh, now I have my own gym in uh, West L.A. called Dynamics Martial Arts. And when did you open up your, your gym in West L.A.? Uh, I opened up my gym in 2010, and um, the, the idea for it was to bring together uh, 
some amazing high-level martial artists in kind of separate fields. So um, one of my partners is Anthony Hardonk, who is a former UFC uh, heavyweight and um, amazing uh, Dutch style of kickboxing. He fought in K1 for many years. And uh, the other uh, person involved in the gym is uh, Vladimir Matyushenko, who is a six-time Soviet national champion for wrestling and also um, a UFC and Bellator and IFL veteran. So... Um, yeah, just basically it's just to bring together um, different aspects of martial arts and uh, make sure that we have very, very high level of instruction and everything. So, Yeah, that looks amazing uh, to have that you three uh, heading the instructions in the in the gym there. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think it's very, very rare to find that, you know, even, uh, you know, at a school to even have like a, a person that actually has experience, you, you know, uh, in fighting and stuff like that just to even have one person with high level of experience. Um, and then you have, you know, those two guys together and then uh, also me with my background in jiu-jitsu. So. I did some research to get ready for this interview, and it seems like everybody who, who got you on uh, for an interview wanted to know about uh, Hickson and, and things about Hickson. I want to know a little bit about, like, you and how how you are doing things that maybe you have learned from Hickson or uh, maybe how you change things a little bit to fit your style or or how, I guess his influence over over uh, what you do. Um, you know, obviously training with Hickson, um, I, I, I intentionally sought out to train with him because um, he is the best jiu-jitsu practitioner in the world. Uh, I was really into, um, you know, his mindset, his philosophy. And uh, so, of course, training with him for so many years had a huge, huge, huge influence on me um, and my style. Um so for me, you know, um, it, it's very, very similar to his, his mindset and his philosophy of um, sticking with the basics, um, trying to perfect all the basic movements, understand all the subtleties in each position, um, you know, and not having to learn, you know, a thousand techniques. Also, um, making sure that jiu-jitsu that you learn is effective, whether you have a gi on, whether you don't have a gi on and whether you need to use it um, maybe in the street to protect yourself or to protect someone you care about. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy. And, um, you know, he had a huge, huge, huge influence in that. So, so you, you prefer the, the, the more fundamental techniques, maybe, would be the way to say that, and techniques that don't rely on one thing, gi or no gi, that work best with or work great in every situation. Exactly. And you want to... Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's just really important, you know, um, to, one, have a jiu-jitsu style that doesn't rely on grips because um, at the end of the day, like living here in Southern California, uh, people are in shorts and t-shirts all the time. So the weather's, you know, nice weather most of the year. Um, so, you know, if you need to use jiu-jitsu for self-defense to protect yourself, um, sometimes you don't have grips available, you know. Um, so I think that's very, very important. And also focusing on Jiu-Jitsu that will work if you need to protect yourself. Um, obviously, there's a lot of movements and things you do in Jiu-Jitsu that kind of put you in danger in a situation where striking is involved. And uh, I think that the way you train is how you're going to react in a fight. Um, you know, you don't have time to really think things through and readjust uh, your strategy or adjust your movements or play a specific, you know, change up your game. So, um, you know, my focus has always been on um, how to use jiu-jitsu uh, as, a, as a martial art. 
as a way to not only instill confidence in a person, but also so that they feel confident if there's ever type of some type of confrontation that they feel prepared that they can deal with it. You have a, a, so much great talent in your uh, school there that, that teaches. Do most of the students come seeking to learn uh, the martial arts as a self-defense or to, to learn the sport aspect of it or both? Or what, what do you get? You know what? People come, uh, come to us for for everything. I mean, some people are interested in just losing weight and they have they have no idea who we are as instructors. Um, some people specifically seek out either me or Anthony or, or Vladdy. Um, you know, some people just come because uh, to do it, we have a lot of professionals that train there, you know, guys that are actually fighting professionally. And then we have, um, you know, we have doctors and lawyers. So it's basically the whole gamut of, of people with different interests. And so that's one of the great things about our gym is that we, you know, we satisfy all those needs. Yeah. Do you think it's common for a student to come in and, and for the the desire to learn some self-defense and then after an amount of time they feel that they have attained that and then they tend to, to, to veer off that path sometimes? Maybe not your school but in other in some well, places? I think for the most part when the student comes into the school, they, they, they have – a trust in their instructor. You know, they're willing to pay you money to provide them what they think is, you know, going to help them in their life. And I think most of the people that come into a martial arts school to learn are there to learn a martial art, something to help them to protect themselves that they can use as a defense. I think the, the competition aspect comes secondary after someone's been training for a while and has developed some confidence then they're thinking, okay, I want to compete and test myself now. And then that type of, that, you know, that kind of develops. So I, I think for, for the most part, first and foremost, I think people want to learn Jiu-Jitsu either because they see it in the UFC or they've seen it somewhere or they heard about Hoist Gracie, you know, and um, they're like, okay, I want, to, I want to do that because I heard it's really, really good for, for protecting yourself or self-defense or fighting, you know. Yeah, that that makes sense, and it, and I, that's one of the. There are so many benefits to jujitsu, but that's that's definitely one of the big ones, and one of the big draws to get people in the door would be the. I mean, there's so many benefits of jujitsu. It's crazy, you know. I mean, not only the the health benefits, um, I think the relationships that you develop and build in jujitsu um, is really really strong. There's so much of a, of a team spirit and so much camaraderie between training partners. I mean. Um, I think one of the things that you really develop when you start training is trust in the people that you're training with, that when you tap, they're going to let go um, and that they're not going to hurt you, you know? Um, so that just giving trust to other people kind of develops a bond. You know, all of my, most of my best friends are all come from jujitsu. Yeah, that's what, m- most of my best friends have choked me. And that's, if you, that's weird if you, if you don't do jujitsu to, to have your, your friends try to put you to sleep yeah <laughs> could, could you describe your style of, of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu what you like to do when you're grappling um, I mean my, my style is a very very simple very basic style you know um, I focus on the fundamentals I think the fundamentals are the most important thing um, you know in Jiu-Jitsu having just very very strong fundamentals um, so and uh, you know I don't do it's um, too much Sporty type movement. I don't do too much gripping in my game, like holding sleeves. Actually, when I pass the guard, I don't even hold the the knees or hold the um, control the gi pants, you know, much. So um, 
yeah, it's just a very, very uh, basic, simple style, but um, there's a lot of little subtleties and nuance in it that really, really make it far more effective. Um, and that's what I kind of focus on teaching. That's kind of my specialty is uh, kind of reteaching the basics to people so that um, they're super effective and it becomes effortless. You know, I think that's what everyone kind of gets involved in jiu-jitsu for. They heard it's all, it's all based on leverage and no strength, and it's created for smaller guys to be able to overcome bigger, stronger opponents. Um, and I, I genuinely believe in that. You know, I, I think that jiu-jitsu, you don't need strength. It's all about timing, using the right technique at the right time. Using the right technique at the right time. That's yeah. So you, it's not about speed, you know, that, and a lot of people think you have to be fast which it's not exactly about being fast. It's about timing, which is something different. It's being able to apply a technique at, at a certain time or being able to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. Hmm. So maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody is faster and they have the attribute to them, do they have like a larger window that their timing will be effective versus somebody who's a little slower? No, not at all. Because, okay. I mean, here's the thing is you can be patient you can be slow and patient and be waiting for the person to do something uh. or set them up to do something. And when you, when you know it's coming, you're just ready for it. Sometimes the guys that are, that are really, really fast, what they end up doing is they just end up wasting a lot of energy. Yeah. They think it's all about moving really fast, trying this and trying that and trying this and, and nothing works. And so what happens is they're just kind of moving around, scrambling, struggling, wasting all their energy instead of being patient and waiting for opportunities to present themselves and taking advantage of them at, at that given time. That's that's really a cool way to think of that and, and to look at that. I really appreciate that. You mentioned earlier that that you don't like to even like grab the 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 gi pants when you're passing sometimes. Does that would it, it like if you wanted to pass somebody's guard would it be like a slight advantage to do that but you're you're putting that away and not using that to get your game to be the same both with or without the gi? No, you know, actually I think sometimes it's a disadvantage to grab the pants because, um, for, for example, like say a spider guard situation yeah. where a guy has his feet on your biceps. When you grab the pants, basically what you're doing is you're securing your arms to his legs, right? Yeah. And so when you secure your arms to his legs, you have to think, well, what's stronger, his legs or your arms? Yeah, yeah, his legs are significantly his stronger. Legs, right? So who actually has the control? You know, if he wants to move his legs around, he's going to dictate the movement of your arms. Right? Now yeah. that you're attached to his, the legs, now that you have locked your arms onto his legs, if he starts to move his legs around, he's the one that kind of has the control. So, you know, there's a lot of times where it's not really a benefit. You know, because now you you give your you give the control to your opponent. Yeah, that makes sense the way you explain it. I find myself doing, uh, I think, this, a similar thing that I don't want to play a gi specific game, or or yeah. even do no no gi techniques that won't really work as well in the gi because just because my training time is limited, I may only get to train three times this week, and all three of them might be no gi, and so I don't want to to, to put my gi techniques on the shelf this week and not not even do those until I get back to, right. to putting the gi on. Right. Do you think that's a, an and advantage? it's possible for... to develop a style that transfers very easily between gi, no gi, and MMA. And you can be very, very effective at it. I mean, 
you know, Hickson's style was very, very basic and simple. And, um, you know, he competed in MMA, um, amazing in Nogi, obviously. And, um, you know, every world champion that came through our gym through the 15 years that I was training, I mean, he literally obliterated, played with, you know. And these are world champion black belts in their prime, young, you know, 10 to 15 years younger than him. And, um, you know, I saw him playing with them. So that was kind of reassurance for me that I didn't need to learn, um, you know, I didn't need to develop uh, all these tricks in jiu-jitsu. That if I focused on the basics and focused on the subtleties and really, really developed the, these, uh, you know, s certain movements to a high level, I could have a game that would be super, super effective. And, um, it, you know, it's like Bruce Lee said, he doesn't fear the guy with a thousand kicks. He fears the guy with one kick that he's done a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's a, a common problem with, uh, w with students today. They may not even realize it, that a lot of times they are being taught the basics in their class and, and, and they feel that they understand them. And then they go home and they watch YouTube and this stuff online and they get a whole, the advanced moves and, and things like that. Do you think that's, how do you think that's affecting most of the students that end up doing that? Well, I, I think what happens is after, um, after you start learning jujitsu and you start learning the basics, there comes a point where you feel like it's a struggle because now these other guys know what you're going to do and now you're not able to apply these techniques as easily. Um, so that's, that's a big problem. Um, there's a lot of subtleties in the basics that often don't get shown or don't get taught or are not really understood or not even picked up. You know, sometimes you teach a class and the student picks up, you know, 40 or 50% of the information that's actually given by the instructor. And then, you know, you see that class again and then you pick up another detail like, oh, I never saw that before. I never noticed that before the first time I saw it. And, you know, each time you kind of pick up more and more and more. And um, so I think if you focus on developing the basic techniques, you just keep getting better and better and better at it, you know. I think people give up too easily because they feel like, oh, man, it's not working anymore, so this move doesn't work, you know. Yeah. When actually it works, you just haven't perfected it to the level that you need to to be able to get guys with it, you know, get these guys that are, you know, catching up to you. And that is like a, that's like, that's a good spot in your development because it's shown mm -hmm. how far you've taken that technique, and now you need to make another clear advancement in, in right. maybe some fine-tuning or some like some timing uh, differences that yeah. they will take. And it. it's either a timing situation, right, that you're maybe applying it either too too soon or too late, or sometimes mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a situation where you need to set the opponent up. You know, you get to, you kind of have to lead them into it. So do something, have them react, have them resist, and then the movement becomes available. You know, so that's what I always kind of try to look for. Um, is is if it's if it's a, if it's really a struggle to do, either my timing was off, or um, I didn't set him up, I didn't make him give it to me. When when you say set up, are are you are you trying to like you you present like two options for me, and for one way you armbar me, one way you choke me, to react a certain way, yeah, that's going to give me what I want. Okay, but but yeah. you still have the original goal of of that one move, not like a second idea that will. If he still doesn't do it, you can go to the second thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And and I mean, the thing is, you know, when I'm training, I I 
kind of have all my options available. I don't, you know, I try not to get tunnel vision and yeah. focus on one specific move because you never know what can happen, right? You never know how the person's going to react. But in jujitsu, by uh, putting people in different situations or um, pushing, sometimes you, you realize, okay, if I push this person, he's going to push me back. So, you know, that's a setup because as soon as he pushes me back, oh, maybe he's going to give me his arms because he's pushing me. You know, he's stretching his arms out. So there's a chance that that might not happen. So the idea is to always have options available for whatever your opponent's doing, you know. But for a specific technique, like if I'm trying to set up a, a, a hip bump sweep or a scissor sweep, you know, there's certain things that are necessary for those things to be to feel um, very effective and effortless. You know? Yeah. Like if a guy is laying on top of you, like holding you down, it's yeah. going to be very, very hard to hip bump sweep. Yeah. But if he's sitting backwards in posture... You can use that technique, right? So how do you get him to sit back in posture? Well, maybe if you try pulling him in a little bit with your legs and he's really fighting to stay up, he doesn't want to get pulled down, he doesn't want to get his posture broken, then you can use it at that time when he's really trying to push out or push back or sit back. And so then it, in that situation, it'll become easy. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's very clear to me now, and, and I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, you started training uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in 1995 uh, with Hickson. How has like the school, the the classes that you that you walk into, um, the atmosphere and the uh, culture of jiu-jitsu, has that changed much since then? Um, not for me. You know, I try to instill the same values in, in my students. I keep uh, I try to keep things pretty traditional at my school. Um, maintain obviously a, a level of respect between everyone. Um, you know, I don't know how it is for other schools. So, um, but I, I think in general, it's pretty much the same. Uh, the only trend I see more is um, a lot of schools more kind of heading in the sport direction than uh, the the original intention for Jiu-Jitsu was kind of self-defense. But, um, you know. Is that just because of, that's where the... I think the... it's because that's what gets all, the most exposure. Yeah. You know? If you go into any magazine, you look at any magazine, who are they featuring? They're featuring these guys that are all world champions. And so now people start looking at them like, oh, I want to be like this guy or that guy because, you know, these guys are kind of, uh, in the jiu-jitsu world, they're kind of celebrities, you know? Yeah. They've won a bunch of tournaments. And so people start to try to emulate, you know, whoever they look up to. And, uh, you know, and those guys are all the sport guys. I mean, if it was, you know, if it, if the the focus was different, if you you know you go to the jiu-jitsu magazines and you see all the guys that are, you know, the best teachers, focus, you know, which all, many times in jiu-jitsu I feel that the best athletes and the best competitors are not always the best teachers. Absolutely, you know, the, I think the focus for a competitor um, is the complete opposite for the focus of a teacher. If you're a competitor, if you're competing, um, the focus is on yourself and your training and how you're doing and your nutrition and everything like that. So it's um, you have to be completely focused on yourself. As a teacher, your focus is on others. Your focus is on your students and how their training is going and what they're doing and how you can fix them and help them, you know? Yeah, that's that's uh, I've never heard of that 
outlook on the teacher versus the competitor, um, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do, do, do you a think- lot of these guys that are competing, uh, they, they're, you know, one of the things that they have, they're, they're so naturally, they pick jujitsu up very, very quickly. They're, they're naturals at it, you know, um, that they never really had to struggle and think about it much. So to be able to pass information on to others, like I always tell people, teaching is a skill in itself. And teaching is the ability to pass information on from one person to another. It's not something that comes natural. It's something that actually has to be developed. You know, some people are better than others, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, so, um, you know, and even for me, my teaching has improved. I mean, I've been teaching since I was a blue belt. And, uh, you know, every year I get better and better and better as a teacher. What, looking back, if you're able to think about it, uh, why were you given the role as, as teaching so early on? Early on, I picked it up very quickly. And I was spending a lot of time doing jiu-jitsu. My whole focus was just jiu-jitsu. The whole reason I moved to L.A. was to do jiu-jitsu. And um, I completely immersed myself in it uh, to where I was spending about 60 to 70 hours a week at the academy. So um, originally, that's why I was kind of given that role uh, as a teacher. But um, I think after a while, um, you know, I started to develop that deep level of understanding uh, I had a very, very good knowledge of it, and um, so I think Hickson trusted me to, to teach and, and, you know, pass on pass on that information. Do you have any advice for somebody who's who's entering into that role of going from just a student shows up every day to be, maybe being asked to teach a class here or there that when the teacher's out of town or, or how to pick up that, that skill or that trait? Uh, you know, you know what I do for my students? I just started this actually not long ago, um, is an instructor program. Um, so uh, with the instructor program, what I do is I kind of get my students together and I'll go over a very specific class. Um, and so I kind of have a curriculum of classes that I'm developing and um, so that the techniques flow in a logical order and that I can point out uh, point out the elements that are really, really necessary, the kind of little details that um, really help make the technique effective. And also I let them, you know, my, the, the guys that are there for my class, ask me questions um, because the idea is to make them feel confident. As a teacher, that's one thing you have to have is confidence in your jiu-jitsu. And if you don't know something, it's very difficult for you to have confidence. So uh, I try to instill as much knowledge as I can in uh, my students, in my guys that I um, am trusting to teach my classes so that they feel comfortable. And I always tell them, you know, if, if you don't know the answer, it's okay. You know, just you, we can always come and ask me and just say, hey, I don't know the answer right now, and let me get back to you, you know, yeah. so they don't feel the pressure of having to know everything. A lot of times as an instructor, you know, people feel that pressure. It's like, oh, if I don't, if I... If I don't know it, you know, people are going to think I'm dumb or I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know what I'm, you know, talking about. So. So you've arranged some, like, predetermined classes and you kind of get a small group to teach people how to teach these particular classes and then they... Teach people how to teach. Yeah. Which is is important because it's completely different than, than participating in a class where you're doing movements, where you're just repping, uh, repping technique. It's um, it's teaching. It's how to teach other people, you know, yeah. how to explain things in a way that people understand. How to explain things 
in the format and things to point out to get things to work. And, you know, as you start teaching, you'll start to see that it's really common that students have a problem doing this or they have a problem with doing that. So how to fix that, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's a great way to, to help develop the leadership in your in, in your school. You just you're, exactly. you're helping them off the mat as well as they learn this skill of how, how to teach somebody and that confidence. It's going well beyond the the original intent that they had showed up for, whether it be self defense right. or to get in shape. Yeah, and that's that's the other obviously goal for me is to instill confidence in my students, confidence in my instructors. I, I think it's um, it. it develops a lot of spiritual growth you know um when you develop confidence in yourself and you feel better about yourself you treat uh those around you better so i think it has a huge effect not only on the individual but um the community and everyone in their lives you know if you feel good about yourself you can treat others in a good way yeah exactly right that and you mentioned earlier that that just some something about jutsu is like the relationships that you build and and that definitely plays onto that and, and interacting with people. Right. Yeah. How, how do you adapt for the the self-defense aspect of jiu-jitsu um, during training, or, or how do you guys prepare for that? Um, so I have uh, one class a week now that I do where um, after guys have um, kind of gotten the basics down of jiu-jitsu once they've been training with me for a few months, I have a class that's available to them where we actually put on gloves. It's a, it's a no-gi class where we put on gloves and we deal with striking. We deal with striking from all the different positions, all the different angles, people, people, you know, moving around. And so, um, I don't want to say it's an MMA class because it's not an MMA class and it's not by MMA rules because we talk about headbutts, we talk about kneeing someone in the face when they're on the ground, but it's basically how to deal with strikes when you're on the ground. So it kind of makes people very, very aware and conscious of how to protect themselves from, you know, not only submissions, but how to protect themselves from strikes, you know, when, uh, when, the, when the fight gets to the ground. So I have a class specifically for that that really develops that awareness. Do, do most of, of the students that are eligible to take that class, do they, do they take that? Do they go in there and, and train that as well, or is it a... Oh, yeah, it's a super popular class. Cool. It's a super popular class. And this is not a class where guys are beating each other up. You know, the whole concept, the idea is not for um, me to tee off on, on, on my <laughs> training partner. It's, it's to, for me, as a training partner, to help my partner be aware that in these positions or in these situations, um, certain strikes are available. Like if I move my head here, if I'm in this position, I can get punched in the face or I can get kneed in the ribs or I can get kneed in the body or I can get punched in the stomach. So it's just making the student aware of where the strikes are coming from, where the, where the danger can come from, and how to defend it. So much of, of self-defense is, is mental and, and being able to avoid totally. the situation. Do you guys yeah, address that much? Mental. Well, I think training itself does that. Okay. You know, I always tell people that um, it, basically that, that's the whole reason we train. That's the whole reason we train as much as we can because if you can learn something and do it after seeing it once, you wouldn't need a, you wouldn't need to keep training. <laughs> the idea is when you see something and you repeat it hundreds and thousands of times, it becomes subconscious. It becomes so that when you feel it or when you need to use it, you just react without thinking. It's like... Um, you know, driving a car. If you've been driving a car from the time you're 16, 
you know, after a few years, you could have a conversation on the phone. Your mind can be on the conversation and you can still drive and get to your destination without even really being aware and conscious of how you're driving. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and, and even, um, I, I like the car analogy because um, if something happens on the road, your foot hits that brake so fast that you that your brain doesn't even have to do the, tell your foot to move, that, that right, you're, you're trying to avoid stop that. Signs, you're stopping at stoplights, you're, you're making turns, you're looking in the mirror and checking, but you're, you're, you know, even though you might be having a conversation with the person sitting next to you, and that's because driving, after you've been doing it for so many years, so much, it becomes subconscious for you. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be constantly thinking. If you think about it, when you first get into the car when you're 16 years old, how nervous you are and how you're like, oh, crap, I got to put my gas in. But when you first took your driver's license test, right, you're, you're checking all the mirrors and you're so aware and present. Yeah. And, you know, oh, am I backing up? Am I reversing? And, you know, you're looking at all the stop signs and you're paying attention when I need to... Uh, flash to get over and that all kind of goes away after you've been doing it for a few years so that's the purpose of training is to practice it enough so that you don't have to think about it when you need to use it it's there already you just you know it you'll notice in training the times that you kind of train the best is when you kind of just go into autopilot and you're just kind of reacting to what's going on in the moment yeah you know are, are there some positions that in jiu-jitsu that work great you know even with like the light striking that don't really work as that well in actual uh, self-defense that the students should be aware of every every position uh, presents its own set of problems and presents its own set of um, situations that you're going to have to learn how to deal with Okay, that that makes sense. It's just, it's the same. The the beauty of that is it's the same way of training, just altering it slightly for. I mean, I mean, to to think about what might ha- be happening in a in a true self defense situation. It's right. You have to be aware of, of all the possibilities. You know, what are the possibilities from this position? How can the guy move? What can he do? How can he react? That could cause a problem with it. And how would I deal with it? So that's. I mean, that's the amazing thing about jujitsu is there's. Uh, a lot of problem solving involved. You know, it's very, very, um, very, very cerebral. You know. Yeah. That. Yeah. Well said. Speaking of using like using your brain to to solve problems, like the opposite of that, a student that uh, comes in and is wanting to use a lot of strength and and energy and in those physical attributes that they have at the time, how does that? Uh, maybe slow their learning or affect their training? I mean, it's a, it's a huge roadblock to their learning, you know? Um, because normally what happens is the time that you need to use strength means there's either something wrong with the technique or the timing of the movement. And so what happens is if you always try to compensate with poor technique, with strength, with muscle, or you always try to compensate with um, bad timing by muscling through things. Um, it really stops your growth because you never ever develop, uh, you, you never really get to develop the, the pure technique or the pure timing of the movement. You're trying to force them in. So two things happen. One, you get tired really, really fast, right? Yeah. You're exerting yourself all the time, you're going to get tired really fast. And two, it never really allows you to... Um, it just really stunts your growth, you know, 
the, the main idea, I mean, the, the whole purpose for jiu-jitsu is everything should feel effortless to do. shouldn't use any strength. And if it does, it means you're doing something wrong. So that's a good time to either ask the instructor, like, hey, you know, I tried to do this, but it felt like I had to use way too much strength. What am I doing wrong? You know? Yeah. And it's either you're missing some details of the technique or that opportunity wasn't really there, that you know, and you're just trying to force it. So how, how do you convince a student who is 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 performing well but using strength and they're they're – they feel like they're doing a good job that maybe they should tone it back a little bit and they and and for a little while they won't do as well on the mat they, they won't get that instant yeah, gratification it's a big ego, it's a big ego crush you yeah know, it crushes the person's ego and um i think that's one of the things the martial art is as martial artists is it teaches us to be humble you know you have a big strong tough guy that comes into a gym and gets uh you know tapped out multiple times by guys much smaller and weaker and it kind of humbles you a little bit then you know they're like oh man that's something I need to learn um, so I, I think you know the main thing is you just have to explain to them that it's not about winning it's not about tapping the other person out it's about learning it's about growing and in order to learn and to grow you know sometimes you do need to kind of put yourself in bad situations I mean that's where most learning and growth comes from is from difficult situations you know so, especially like bigger guys that are, are really strong. Every anytime I see a big guy training with a really small guy, I always walk up to him and say, "Hey, try not to use any strength." Yeah. You know, because I mean, it's easy to, to muscle through things, and it's easy to overpower guys that are, are weaker than you. You know, that are, maybe have the same level of technique, but but are weaker. You know. But also, you know, you, you know, the the big strong guys. What I normally see in uh, gyms and places I travel are usually are the ones that take much longer to develop a high level of technicality because they're so used to forcing and muscling through things. Yeah. I think every gym has um, some some pretty good blue belts or some purple belts that are the the, the smaller framed uh, person and those individuals are very talented and, and have developed that skill because they've had to. Because they they've dealt they with, the, deal with, with the guys getting smashing them all the time, and they develop the ability yeah, to deal with it without using strength, you know, by using movement instead. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard for a student who has strength, who you know, the, the bigger guys, to always not hard. use it. Yeah, it is hard because the other thing too is strength is relative. You know, you have a huge guy. Say you have a, like a world champion powerlifter. Well, fifty percent of his strength is maybe a hundred percent of your strength. Yeah. So you could tell the guy, hey, go 30%, but he still feels like he's going super, super hard. Yeah. You know? And you're like, geez, dude, I told you to go easy, and you're still going super hard, but maybe it's going easy for him. You know? Maybe for him, it's not he's not really using that much strength. You know? So it, it is hard. Uh, the main thing I tell people is just try to relax as much as possible so that you can just feel and be aware of the movements and... and just try to play with the timing and see if you can do things so that they don't require any effort. But, yeah, strength is relative. It seems like um, newer students have a hard time figuring out what what is, uh, like if you roll with them and you put pressure on them, they feel like you are you might be uh, using strength, but it's really not the same thing. How would you describe the no, differences? But, you know, I mean, there, there's different ways of applying pressure. There's, uh, I think, applying weight, you know. I think there's um, 
being a little bit rigid. You can apply pressure from different things by just tensing your muscles a little bit. Um, and then there's really trying to force things, like muscling through everything. You know, so I think there's different ways that you can kind of apply pressure to your opponent, um, you know, without without using strength. Without just squeezing them um, with your... It, exactly, exactly. And that's that's a really hard distinction because it's different in every position, in every situation, yeah. you know? How much of when when... It seems like when I feel pressure, when I'm dealing with somebody who's who's got a lot of pressure, it seems like most of the time they have uh, moved their their weight to my to my lungs. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, and that's 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 a type of pressure, right? And it's mostly weight distribution. Where maybe they're laying on your chest and you feel like you can't breathe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so that's that's basically weight distribution. That's one form of, of applying pressure, right? Where you're using your weight, and um, and that is probably one of my favorites. And what I'm known a lot for is how to use your weight to apply pressure. Because um, what, especially when you're on top, it's very very easy to kind of constantly be kind of leaning on your opponent and applying your weight, which doesn't use any strength. But it feels like uh, if you're on the bottom, it feels like you're getting crushed. Yeah. So yeah. what would be so that's, a, that's a completely different thing than squeezing the crap out of someone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That that's one type of pressure. What would be an a, a, an example of a different type of pressure? Um like another type of pressure just feeling like like smothered, you know? Okay. Like smothered like there's no space to to move. And so that that's mostly about um soaking up the gaps, you know, and and kind of molding into all the space. So it's not so much that the person can't move, but it's almost like a claustrophobic feeling, you know, where you're constantly kind of like moving with your opponent and kind of staying tight to them. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a, it's a very, very different type of pressure. It feels like, uh, you know, it feels uh, like you're, you're swimming in quicksand. And maybe you get that, that claustrophobic feeling kind of kind of honing in on you. Yeah, it just feels like so, um, you know, it's hard to describe. It just feels like it's, like you're constantly struggling, you know. You're able to move, but you're constantly struggling. I'll, I need to work on that type of pressure myself. <laughs> so yeah, that, it will come. It yeah. comes, you know. <clears throat> what would be some... Well, how long have you been training? Uh, I've been training since uh, 2002. Okay. Wow. So I've got a little bit of time, but I'm still I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, I'm working on my basics all the time. You know, I'm just trying to trying to get yeah. a little bit better every day. And that's that's how it goes. Yeah. As long as you can progress a little bit every day, you're making progress. You know, you're heading towards that direction. Yeah. And some days it feels like I'm not. And but I but I really feel that even if you feel like you're not making progress, you probably are. You're probably getting better. <laughs> It's like the stock market, you know. You're, it's ups and downs day to day, but in the long term, it's always going up. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. You look at the graph over a ten or fifteen year period, and I mean, some days you're not feeling physically good. Some yeah. days your mind is somewhere else when you're training. Maybe something happened at work, or something happened with your girlfriend or your wife, and you're not really present in the moment. And that that's going to have a huge impact in your training, your concentration, and your focus. 
you know? So some days you'll feel like, oh man, I suck today. And then some days you feel like, man, I, everything felt so easy and so natural today. And I, that guy that I normally have problems with or gave me such a hard time last time, like I, you know, I, he was easy today. So, right. That's like, yeah, that, that's, that's a, that one way life and, and life on the mat are, are very similar. Mm-hmm. What yeah, would be so many similarities. What would be a good goal for a student for their first year of doing jujitsu? For their first year, uh, I think for the first year of jujitsu is really just trying to survive, um, survive in all the bad positions. You know, I, I think that's kind of the first step is seeing if you can survive when you get mounted. You know, it's not even about escaping, just seeing if you can survive and not get finished. Seeing if you can survive from the bottom of cross-site and not get finished or, or mounted. Seeing if you can survive, because once you develop that ability to survive, um, then what that does is it buys you time for everything else. You know, it buys you time to get out. It buys you time to, to be able to do other things. Yeah, that and that's perfect because... I remember my first year, and I'm sure most people do. You, you learned a, a great armbar from mount, and I you never get mount, and it just doesn't happen. So that I can't even try my technique. But you're always going to be put in a bad spot, especially your first year. Right. And, and, and well, that's the thing. Like you, you learn. Say you learn an armlock your first class, which I'm not saying it's wrong to teach someone an armlock their first class. But say you learn an armlock your first class, and then you you go into the class, and you know everyone's better than you. You're not even going to get to really try that technique out. Yeah. You know, um, what happens most of the time when you're when you're new, you're going to be ending up in all the bad positions, right? Why? Because everyone there is already better than you. You know, and so that's the main thing is just learning to survive in those bad positions, and eventually you'll have time to get to good positions. And then once you can get to the good positions, then the focus is on maintaining those good positions. Then once you can maintain those good positions, then it's understanding how to finish from there. That sounds like a great roadmap or a great plan to get to get success on the mat. Yeah, I think that's the natural progression of things. Anyways, you know. Yeah, that's why you see so many um, guys really have a, a good guard um, where other areas of the game are lacking is because from the beginning they learn to be comfortable on their back. They learn to be comfortable on the bottom um, because that's where you start out. You know, when you start training. You're always on the bottom. Yeah. And so they start to learn to be comfortable on their back. They learn to start to learn to be comfortable playing guard because that's the most uh, dominant position from your back that you can have. If you're on your back, you want to have the guy in your guard. That's a position where you can actually still win fights. And so that's kind of the first area that a lot of people develop is their guard. And it makes sense. I mean, this is the way you explained it, how natural the progression of it is. And, that, and that's what you're going to naturally be good at while you're spending your time and developing your technique. Um, do you have any sponsors you want to thank or talk about? Um, yes, I do. Uh, I would like to thank OTM on the mat. Um, you know, they've uh, been a sponsor of mine for a long time and supported me in my jiu-jitsu journey. And um, the owners, Gumby and Scotty Nelson, uh, have been uh, amazing, amazing friends throughout the years. Uh, and they do so much for the jiu-jitsu community. Uh, OTM was one of the first uh, websites out there specifically for jiu-jitsu, and um, they sponsor and help so many athletes and so many uh, guys upcoming in the jiu-jitsu community. Um, 
they're kind of a, a staple of uh, of the jiu-jitsu community. You know, and there's so many new brands that are coming up now, um, you know, gi brands and stuff like that. But, I mean, OTM has kind of been around forever, and uh, they've been such a, such a huge supporter of, uh, of the growth of jiu-jitsu, you know. So i definitely like to thank them. Yep, on the mat.com. Yep. They're they're legends in the in the grappling community. Yeah. How can somebody get a hold of you or, or contact you? Um, so I, I have a couple uh I have a Facebook page um that you can like. Um I'm actually I actually just started it recently and uh so I'm starting to transfer um all my personal everyone was kinda of hitting me up on my personal page, so I'm starting to transfer all my jiu jitsu related stuff to um uh, just a kind of separate uh, Facebook profile page. Um, so that's the main way uh, on Facebook, or if you need information on my gym, it's uh, www.dynamicsmartialarts.com, and we're in um, West Los Angeles. So anybody that's ever traveling to LA is uh, more than welcome to come by the gym and train and take a class. Um, I have, there's no politics at my school, so I'm, you know, for me, I'm open to teaching everybody. You know, I think that everyone in jiu-jitsu is kind of uh, a big, giant family. You know, we all share the same passion. And uh, for me, I'm here to kind of help people, to help grow that passion and to help people really understand uh, jiu-jitsu as an art form. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, we, we are a big family, and, and I think sometimes people forget about that and they, they get rivalries going, but in reality, Crazy. we all love the same thing. thing. Yeah. It's like the world, you know. <laughs> it's like the the world. You you have all these small bands, and they all want to go to war and fight each other, and uh, you know they try to look for the differences in each other. When really we all need each other to to survive and to grow and to to move forward. You know, if I didn't have other guys training that I could compete against, how are you? You know, these are the guys that you're competing against are your friends. They're there for the same thing you are, because to grow and to test themselves. You know, so you need that guy. Otherwise, there's no competition. Yep. Right? So, yeah, it's, I mean, we are. We're, it's all one big happy family, you know, in my eyes. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and if you think about, like, when you see, like, a video online of some, some guy using jiu-jitsu to defend himself, you don't ask what school did he train for. You just say, good job for him for doing jiu-jitsu and, and yeah, protecting anybody, himself. Yeah, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, you see someone using jiu-jitsu to, you know, on all these videos, self-defense, you're, you're proud of the guy. You're like, man, I do that too. That's, you know, you, you relate to him, you know? You're like, man, he used jiu-jitsu. That's what I do. So, yeah, it's not <laughs> about, you know, the inner school politics yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. That's, yep, I'm with you on there. It's been uh, a lot of fun talking with you. I appreciate you coming yeah, on here. thank you. Yep, bye-bye. All right. Have a good one. Bye. All right. That wraps up our interview with Henry Akins. Really want to thank him for his time. He was very friendly, you know, off the air and, and just real considerate guy. And uh, can't recommend uh, reaching out to him, liking his Facebook page there, and, and keeping up with him. He, he was really a, a, a good to work with on this interview, and I, and I do appreciate everything he did for me on this. Like I said earlier, next week we have Isaac Doderline. He's an up and coming, he's a brown belt that's tearing it up. He, he won the uh, European champion at his weight class which is featherweight and then he also got second in the, in the absolute weight class so just phenomenal grappler coming up there and and we definitely want to get him in front of you guys to see what he's up to and and, and what he's doing to perform so well I have some friends here to thank we've got some, lots of new reviews on the podcast on itunes 
I'll kind of run through a few of these here. Rooster Tales, funny. It, uh, it said last month, started listening to the podcast. I was a no stripe white belt. After two podcasts, uh, Rooster Tail is now a uh, seasoned one stripe white belt. So amazing podcast. Uh, thank you very much for that. Great information you passed on to the newcomers. Uh, glad you like it there, Rooster Tail. IK433, uh, very, I like your name. That's really good. Uh, says, you guys are pretty awesome. So thank you for that. And uh, has fun with the podcast, great interviews and guests, and then always enjoys the most interesting grappler in the world bit, which uh, uh, thank you for that. You know, sometimes I, I wonder if those are funny or not. Uh, just trying to throw some things together and uh, try to change things up a little bit for you guys. Washes their white belt on here, posts their five-star review. All these are five-star reviews. It means a lot, guys. Really appreciate these, and it helps get the word out about the podcast as well. Uh, white washes their belt, says, I drive for a living. So uh gets plenty of Byron and Gary time daily. So, uh wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, hope that's not not a bad thing. Anyway, it helps, helps aid with the obsession of BJJ, and that is the geese knees. And if he were to ever miss a podcast episode, uh, you know, I'm assuming he didn't say on here, but he would assume like a he would feel like a wounded wounded tiger. So uh, keep on keeping on, and that's what the plan is here. And of course, the wounded tiger is the classic uh, knock on Gary's joke. He always wants to come at you like a wounded tiger for some reason. I still haven't quite figured out where that joke came from. So maybe somebody help me out on that. The last podcast review on iTunes I'll read for you here real quick is from TX Grappler. So Texas Grappler, the first thing you notice about the podcast is the friendship and respect Gary and Byron have for one another. The show is not just fun, but very informative to the listener. This podcast gives great insight on the mindset of BJJ practitioners, and it's great for setting white belts on a good path, as well as reminding black belts why they got started. It goes on, but I really appreciate that. That means a lot, and I and, and Gary and I are good, are good buddies, and, and I don't think we could have done this as long as we have if we weren't. So <laughs> it's ironic to read this one on the episode without Gary, but uh, he'd be happy to hear this one as well. If you uh, want one of our gi patches, I'm giving them away. If you write a, uh, a review like that or any, you know, anything like that, send me an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com. We'll get your information, your address, something like that, and, and tell me your review, and I'll be happy to mail you out a BJJ Brick gi patch. I'm going to give out a fr- shout out to my friend JP, who says that he was listening to the podcast for four hours while painting the walls of his school. That is awesome. Uh, I, I remember painting my house and I listened to a lot of podcasts. I didn't listen to it myself because that's just weird, but uh, it, it's, it helps pass the time. I know what you mean there, buddy. And four hours in one chunk is a lot for anybody to take in, so I hope you're doing okay. We'll catch you guys next week. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, wherever, wherever else you'll find us, email is bjjbrick at gmail.com. If you're in the Wichita, Kansas area, give us a holler, and we'll be happy to train with you, my friends. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.